This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. It's going to be a big hour. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show on an exciting Tuesday. We're getting closer and closer, 99 days until we, 98 days till we get to uh, election Tuesday, November 3rd. And we got a big hour coming your way, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. He's got to deliver Texas for the president and to keep his state Republican. That's his goal as chairman of the GOP in Texas. He'll be with us. And what about sports? We'll talk about sports with the GM of the Jacksonville Jaguars, which is now a hot spot, which was going to be the site of the convention. Now it's not. Players report today. I know some of you out there are saying, you know, I don't want to talk sports. There's, there's all sports radio stations. But... You should understand, sports has so much to do with getting back to everyday life. You might be someone who does a million things and has the baseball game in the background. You might be someone who stays with your team until they start losing, then you're like, I'm moving on. Or you might be living and dying by it. I want to be able to mix the two, and I'll do just that, especially as we watch the MLS pull off a successful bubble season. The NBA looks as though they are on the right track. Baseball's having some turbulence. So let's get started. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Miami Marlins will not play their two games in Miami tonight and tomorrow. If the testing results are acceptable, um, the Marlins will resume play in Baltimore on Wednesday against the Orioles. Oh, that's Commissioner of Major League Baseball. Is sports in trouble? Baseball already having some problems. Got to pump the brakes. Has multiple games, including the Phillies-Yankees game, postponed after an outbreak because the Marlins played the Phillies and they had 11 players test positive. So, of course, the Phillies were home. Marlins were away. So the Yankees weren't going to come there, I guess, because protocol with baseball and play the Phillies in Philly. Are you following that? Well, their commissioner, Rob Manfred, says there's no plans to cancel the season. He believes MLB has adequate protocols to keep players safe. Plus, NFL commissioner Roger Goodell sent a letter to fans explaining the plans for the football season. Number two. I'm honored just to be reported to be among them. Now, each of those women has different strengths and backgrounds, but my comparative strength is my many years of service at the high levels uh, of the executive branch. Susan Rice, 98 days to Election Day, and Joe Biden zeroes in on a running mate while President Trump continues to show the discipline necessary to win. Meanwhile, Washington continues to debate the details of a new coronavirus stimulus package. I'll bring you all those remarks. Number one. He's clearly targeted cities run by Democratic mayors. He said so himself. He's using law enforcement as a political tool. I hate to say it, Aaron, but I really believe that we are seeing the dry run for martial law. She, Mayor Jenny Durkin of Seattle, stop calling the protests protests. They are not. They are riots. Front and center, the beleaguered, overmatched Portland mayor, Ted Wheeler, now wants to talk to his Trump team about a way out after 61 days of chaos allowing terrain on his streets. The message of real racial equality? It's lost. Progress on policing smothered. What's the agenda? 
We'll try to unmask. What's the agenda? I mean, my goodness, we're talking about racial history. We're talking about uh, economic uh, attitudes. We're talking about uh, uh, maybe prejudice in America, policing in a modern way, in a productive way, getting all sides to talk. After all, people don't become policemen to become rich. It's nice to have benefits, but a lot of them do it because they want to help out in society and do have an earn, earn an honorable living. Now they've been vilified. In a matter of months, all this has changed. And now in the face of this big, their biggest critics, they find not people looking for racial justice, looking for anarchy, hate the country, want to restructure our economic model, want to destroy everything that they know. And how do I know this? If you look at the way they've turned on their liberal Democratic mayors and governors, the same way they've never liked Donald Trump or anything Republican. And I watch these protests. I see the dozens of police that get hurt. I see all the damage and the graffiti done by these federal buildings. Of course, the president needed to act. Governor Christie talked about that. The president put federal agents in to supplement, guard federal property and supplement police forces in order to bring some normalcy, some peace and tranquility, if possible, to that city. Governor Christie. He'll criticize Trump, but not here. Cut 16. The president is right to address these issues. And if the mayors in those towns are too politically timid to address people who are defacing and destroying their cities, then the president of the United States has to deal with it. And so I do think it's an effective thing to do. I don't know whether it's going to make sense politically or not for him, George, but it's his responsibility as president if the mayors are willing to walk away from their own responsibility not to support peaceful protests, but to stop um, violent riots. Yeah, I no doubt about it. I think it's going to work if he goes at it purely, doesn't talk about politics, no story leaks from behind the scenes that the president doesn't want to do it, but it's good for his political fortunes. I, I think that he wanted to do something much earlier. And this with putting U.S. Marshals, FBI, um, some others on the ground in order to help police force makes total sense. But of course, these mayors don't know what to do. So they got to quickly condemn the president as if it's his fault. And for the media there, watching all this take place, listen to how they spin it. In Portland, for example, you'll hear MSNBC and then CNN. Cut one. Our pictures of, um, uh, of Portland indicate mostly peaceful protests. Well, that's exactly right, Ali. In fact, uh, you saw mothers arm in arm uh, trying to protect uh, the peaceful protesters. Trump would have you believe that America's cities are criminal wastelands, and he's using that trumped-up charge to justify what in any other country, particularly an authoritarian one, would be called the secret police. Apparently, the president has this imaginary world in his head where he thinks the U.S. cities are under siege. But it is made up on Fox News like it's this raging fire out of control. And that is a gross exaggeration. Yeah, you probably weren't on the ground. So an AP reporter was embedded with the uh, federal agents. Didn't go in with any precondition, any pre, uh, pre uh, notion about what was going on. They thought this would be an opportunity. In Seattle, 74 were arrested over the weekend. You know, those peaceful protests, there's so many result in arrests. 236 arrests overall uh, throughout the country. 238 defendants were charged. 60 defendants charged, to, uh, um, uh, charged as well. 
for what they did. 22 people have been arrested and are facing federal charges for their roles last night. So besides that, there's not much violence going on, let alone the Molotov cocktails, which we saw lined up, let alone the people dropping off bats and frozen bottles of water. How does that feel? Does it feel like that is somebody looking to get a come across with racial justice? Does that look like a Martin Luther King rally? Or we're watching all what we've been seeing over the last two days with Congressman Lewis passing? I don't think at all. This is Antifa, an offshoot of Antifa. These are mostly white 20, 18 to 25-year-olds, nothing better to do, who want to destroy a country they don't understand. But according to Democrats, this Antifa thing doesn't even exist. Listen to the uh, Congressman Jerry Nadler, embarrassingly from New York. There's violence across the whole country. Do you disavow the violence from Antifa? That's happening in Portland right now? There's that's, riots. That's, that's a myth that's being spread only in Washington, D.C. About Antifa in Portland? Yes. Sir, there's there's videos everywhere Jersey. online. There's fires and riots. There's th- they're throwing fireworks at uh, federal officers. DHS is there. Look online. It gets crazy, Mr. Nadler. He has nothing to say, and I think that reporter, the independent reporter, was pretty much stunned from what he heard. Now uh, the Portland mayor says, I have an idea. Let's meet. First, he wouldn't meet with the director of Homeland Security, the acting secretary of Homeland Security, and now he does want to meet. The mayor is now calling for a meeting with DHS leadership. They want the federal agents out. Mayor Ted Wheeler was booed, hissed, and was uh, shouted off the stage when he went up and tried to have be one with the protesters. Then he watches his city continue to erupt. Then he watches these businesses continue to shut down. Now, hours after the demonstrations began, Wheeler says, OK, I want to call for a ceasefire and I'll meet with Homeland. Uh, we're putting more people in there because you can't control your city. And please tell me what Portland has to do with Minneapolis. Then over the weekend, Seattle, they have their... City Council vote to make sure no federal agents can put up fences protecting a federal building. Let me see. So President Trump should let federal buildings burn, precincts being taken over, and his agents just stand by. They don't like the uniforms. Why? You upset that some of the projectiles will actually hit some, won't hit someone in the skull? They actually hit a helmet? What could possibly be the reason that you could actually rationalize the president not allowing them to dress in protective gear, considering everything that's happening right now? So I'm going to read when I get back what the AP reporter reported and what he saw behind the scenes on Saturday night in Portland, Oregon. Impossible to spin it differently. I'm not sure if there are many people at, uh, at the AP voting for Donald Trump. Remember, at the bottom of the hour, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. We'll talk politics. And we'll have Dave Caldwell, the general manager of the Jaguars, uh, after that. Tell, bring us inside football campus. It's about to start. What's their biggest concern? There's a lot of it. We're making this up as we go along. Same thing's going to happen with schools. To me, you got to be resourceful and resilient. And the attitude is get it done, not live in fear. And I think a great message in, in baseball, and the Marlins in particular, They'll take two tests. These 14, 11 players will be back. They should bring more players into the players' pool. And as they come back and they're playing great again or as good as the Marlins can, they'll say, I can get this and I can survive this. Brian Kilmeade Show, need you a part of it, 1-866-408-7669. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. We have produced a tailored and targeted draft that will cut right to the heart of three distinct crises facing our country. Getting kids back in school, getting workers back to work, and winning the health care fight against the virus. That is Mitch McConnell's goal. He put together a plan. It took a while for Republicans to come up with their version. It's going to be worth uh, about $1 trillion. And not, uh, it's a lot of money for me, uh, maybe not for you, but it's a lot less than Republicans are asking for. Excuse me, Democrats. They're asking for $3 trillion, and they want to keep the $600 in, pay, in place every week to give to people who are already getting 70% of their, own, 70% of their salaries and unemployment checks. To me, that's not possible. I mean, it's great in the free world. You did nothing to lose your job. You didn't do anything wrong. So they came up with $600 to get you over the hump. But what we're finding is in practical life, it's more than anecdotal evidence to show that people aren't going back to work. Why would I go back and wait tables? Why would I go back and bartend? Why would I go back into hotel business? Why would I go back into a retail store that's now open if I could make more money by staying home? You, you know, we're street smart. We're capitalists. I want to make more money and maybe I'll do something on the side off the books. That's the way it works. Integrity should not lead you there. But you've already been screwed in 2008. Through no fault of your own, got screwed in 2020. Maybe you want to say to yourself, I'm going to be a little bit more savvy now. So what's in the so-called HEALS Act for Republicans? $1,200 checks uh, for qualifying individuals, $2,400 for adults. I think it's $75,000 or below. $190 billion in a paycheck protection program. That's good news for a lot of small businesses. I think we got a lot better at this now. So they're going to be able to identify businesses and they understand a lot of it can't, all of it can't go to the salaries like they thought. $16 billion for testing. Is anyone going to fight that? Uh, $26 billion for the development of the COVID-19 vaccines and therapeutics, which we have some great news. We have two in the third stage, which means essentially we're testing 50,000 people. 50,000 get a would-be vaccine for Moderna and this Oxford group. 
and 15,000 are getting the placebo, and we'll see how it goes. $20 billion for farmers and $30 billion to protect military and defense bases from COVID-19. We saw what happened when it broke out on those ships. Now, for Democrats, they call it a non-starter. Why? Because it's not everything they want, and they feel they're on the right side of things. And because it's an election year, if, you don't, if you're the one to cut off the $600 extra money, you're going to create some resentment. However, because there's more employees than there are employers. So if you're the one to cut off that money, it benefits the other, other guys, in this case, the other women, uh, when it comes to the stimulus bill. Here is Chuck Schumer's reaction to what the, Denver, what the Republicans offered. And, of course, they need 60 votes to get to the House and to start negotiating. 28. Who knows if we'll see legislative text or just an outline. It also appears the Republican proposal will not be an actual coherent bill, but rather a series of small piecemeal ideas. Well, it's not. So that's uh, that's old news already. Uh, well, he wants to, as uh, Mitch McConnell, he wants an honest debate like when this thing first happened. He doesn't like what happened in the last one. Nancy Pelosi cut 32. That really is pathetic. It isn't serious. Whatever it is, it isn't serious. However, we will continue to see uh, as we go forward. But the fact is, this is wrong. If they're not even getting to the fundamentals of food and rent and, and economic survival, they're not really ready to have a serious negotiation. Uh, there you go. Uh, I think they're having a serious negotiation. They need 60 votes. She's playing pure politics. That's all she ever does. Uh, remember, she, she left town for months and her famous ice cream shot on late night television rather than sitting and negotiating. And she said it was for everybody's health. But yet she's walking around uh, as if there's no issues. So we'll talk about what's in the stimulus bill. Let them negotiate back and forth for a few weeks. I'll probably leave you out of the painful uh, exchange uh, for the most part. But I don't know if you've noticed, but President Trump has done some things that are real impressive. And it almost reminds me of a team that has a big game. And all year they've been kind of screwing around in practice, showing up at games and barely getting by. And then all of a sudden they realize they got a big game coming up. It's the playoffs. And you could see by they arrive early, they're looking the coach in the eye. They seem to work through the final whistle. And you get the sense uh, they're going to play well this weekend. I'm getting that sense with the president. Taking on China. That's not that political advantage, but it shows a good holistic approach. This is my foreign policy. Rounding up our allies to back us up, meeting with Australia. The G7 is set up to be very successful. China's helping us uh, focus on who the real enemy is, an enemy that's been out there. But people are afraid to confront this president isn't. And when it comes to Huawei, we got the U.K., Australia and France all on our side. And I hope Italy next, although they're somewhat compromised by it. And I'm just seeing this discipline in the way he's dealing with the virus, not just saying it's going to go away magically, obviously politically detrimental, holding brief, briefer briefings, getting to the point, acknowledging it's growing, but also acknowledging the curve is bending the right direction in Arizona and, dare I say, bending in the right direction in southern Texas and, dare I say, in Florida. And if you want to look at the virus, and I don't think the president should bring this up because it could be misconstrued, it's coming back in Japan. It's coming back in Hong Kong. It's coming back in the Philippines. It's coming back in Australia. I know not to the degree that we have it. But it shows you America's not the only one with issues. We were down on our backs. We stood up. And then there were some problems in different areas of the country. Maybe 
The virus has a say in this. So in terms of discipline, a person that picked it up and was looking for it, Ari Fleischer, cut 14. President, to his credit, has wisely shifted gears and is really making the August here, late July, August, focus on COVID, which he needs to continue to do. And that way, once he's dealt with that successfully, I submit, he'll be able to turn the tables and really go hard against Joe Biden, who was a walking, talking vulnerability. I agree. And I think Biden's getting some fracture on his Democratic platform, fracture because his party is fractured. You think the Tea Party separated from conservatives? This is a my this is the Grand Canyon. 400 Democratic delegates did not sign on to the Democratic Party platform. Now, I know there's 4000, but if you try to win a nomination without the Sanders supporters, you lose. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We don't need the help that the president's offering. And in fact, I think the president's actions have directly escalated and were responsible for what happened this weekend. Many people who were interviewed by media said they came to the protest because of what's happening in Portland. The protest itself was billed as something in solidarity with Portland. This is uh, absolutely a parallel universe. I don't know what else to say. We all look and we see the fires. We see the unrest. We see the Molotov cocktails. We see the frozen bottles of water. We see the bats. And then you have these liberal mayors who should be very embarrassed that this is happening in their city are blaming President Trump for sending help. That is Mayor, uh, Mayor Jenny Durkin of Seattle. With me right now is a man who I know will not help me make sense of this because he can't get his head around it either. But I love having him on. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. He is now uh, he's representing the Texas GOP. His new title is chairman of the Republican Party of Texas and senior fellow of the Media Research Center. Colonel, congratulations again. Can you get your head around this mayor making the president the bad guy? Well, no one can get their head around, and it's good to be with you, Brian, because what you continue to see is an abdication of a, you know, authority, an abdication of responsibility by these mayors, being that the mayor up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, being Mayor Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, or even Mayor, mayor Bill de Blasio right there in New York City. But what is so interesting to me is that here are individuals who are supposed to uphold a rule of law, who are supposed to provide safety and security to their citizens, but yet what they're doing is allowing the rule of the mob in their own cities. Uh, and we just had this past weekend in Austin, Texas, a shooting where, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter protesters were marching through downtown Austin, blocking and impeding traffic. And someone with, a, a, you know, one of these protesters brandishing a AK-47 approached a vehicle and he was shot and killed. And they blame the, the guy in the vehicle, even though he turned himself in and drove right to the train sta- uh, to right to the police station, right? Yeah, absolutely right. And so, again, you know, you look at the situation with the McCloskeys where you had the mob that broke into a gated community uh, going on to private property, threatening people. And uh, the the uh, the the attorney, the city attorney there and the uh, mayor want to side with the mob. They take someone's uh, weapon that they use to defend themselves, which they have a right to do. And now they're talking about charging them with a felony. But yet nothing happens with the folks who broke in uh, to a private uh, community and uh, which criminally trespassing. 
So I want you to hear what Jerry Nadler said. I, I believe, and I think it's all but confirmed, even the New York Times says that there's an offshoot of Antifa in Portland and in Seattle. I mean, I watched African-Americans being interviewed in the middle of that, uh, the autonomous zone, and they're saying, I don't even know what this is. In Minneapolis, they wanted to get rid of the cops, and they defunded them to a degree. And they said, if you're homeless and you want to live in the park for a while, no problem. Now they have three park cities taking over Minneapolis. And then Jerry Nadler, listen to this clown, cut seven. There's violence across the whole country. Do you disavow the violence from Antifa? That's happening in Portland right now? That's, 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 that's a myth that's being spread only in Washington, D.C. About Antifa in Portland? Yes. What do you say to that? What do you say to that? Well, that's the delusion of the progressive socialist left. And the sad thing is that they're operating, like you said, in the parallel universe. It's not reality. Uh, they don't care about this. They they will continue to dismiss it because for them, the most important thing is going after President Trump. And and I believe, Brian, I know that everyone's talking about these early polls or whatever. But when you go out and talk to people, they are upset about what they're seeing in the streets. And I believe that there's going to be a resounding voice that comes out in this election cycle that rejects this rule of the mob, this violence, this council culture. And it's going to reject the Democrats for embracing it, which is what Jerry Nadler just basically said, that this is all just a myth. So now you have uh, Tesla is coming to Texas. Joe Rogan is coming to Texas. Mm -hmm. But yet a lot of people are looking at Texas and saying, man, the the Democrats are going to get that and change elections for the next few decades. How close? How much are you concerned? I know what you want, but how concerned are you about the Democratic influence moving into Texas rather than be converted who have been in Texas? Well, I am concerned about the fact that you look at our major population centers and they're all controlled by leftists. You know, here in Dallas, uh, Austin, San Antonio, Houston, El Paso, you know, somewhat El Paso, and. That is a big issue for us because we haven't done a good job of making a clear delineation about what Texas is and what Texas stands for. You, you've done a great job with your book on the history of Texas and our fight for independence here. And the book that I wrote talked about the policies of growth, opportunity, and prosperity that has made Texas the 10th or 11th largest economy in the world, our oil and gas industry, which has led to America being energy independent and a net exporter of energy resources. And I can understand why businesses and corporations and some individuals are leaving, fleeing failed economic states, California, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, and they are coming and bringing the exact same failed policies with them. So my mission, my my uh, focus is to make that delineation very clear and to you know put the uh, progressive socialist left, the Democrat Party, on defense because we haven't done a good job of being on offense with our message. We haven't done a good job of dominating the narrative, and so we've got to improve that. And I think that when you talk common sense and reason, they're going to be a 30 to 35 percent that likes, you know, this switch to the left. But I don't think uh, people are going to accept that here in the state of Texas. So we know we're going on a warp speed for a vaccine when it comes to the coronavirus. And most people, even Anthony Fauci, Mr. Doom and Gloom, is saying he's never seen anything like it. And we have 50,000 people taking the Moderna vaccine. 15,000 will be taking a placebo. And we'll see what this study yields, but it could be something real quick. As of right now, when you look at Texas, 
How are you guys doing? The numbers don't look great, but they look better. How are you guys doing fighting this virus, or is it all about waiting for a vaccine? Well, I think that, you know, first and foremost, we've got to, you know, fight it ourselves. Everyone has to try to do their best to be healthy. And, of course, we've got to protect those most vulnerable demographics. This past weekend, I was down along the border in Hidalgo and Cameron uh, counties, which has seen a, a real big influx. And, uh, you know, I talked to some of the medical professionals, and you're seeing people, again, suffering from obesity, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, and other existing conditions. You're seeing that spike. Of course, uh, people above 65, and that's where we see the biggest issue. But again, when you peel back the numbers, Brian, we are seeing a drop in the death rate. Sure, we're testing more. We're getting more positive cases. But the recovery rate is is increasing. I mean, we're talking about almost a 99.9% recovery rate here in the state of Texas. So I think that we have to start looking at, instead of the big cookie-cutter approach, you know, with, uh, you know, mandates and, and executive orders and edicts and things of this, nature. Let's start looking how we can make sure that we don't ruin the economy of Texas. We don't start ruining lives and livelihoods. Domestic abuse is going up. Suicides are on the increase. We're seeing you know, the loss of small businesses. We don't want to see a long-term problem when I think that we can have some great fixes to get us past this virus. And we got to get back to school. I know you're going to go see the president yes. now, now as chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. I know you were appreciative that he tweeted after your accident. What's your message to him? Or are you going to say, give me more time to get a sense of what Texas needs? Well, my message to the president is to make that clear delineation between the rule of law and the rule of the mob and continue to to hammer on that uh, because we don't want to see the the unrest in our our cities, our cities and our streets. We don't want to see the threat to uh, safety and security for the American people. And and again, I think that polling shows that most folks don't want to see the ripping down of monuments and memorials and things of this nature. History is there for us to learn from, not for some uh, group based upon an ideological agenda to uh, decide that they want to destroy history. And again, if this is all about white supremacy and racism and, and that, Look at the history of the Democrat Party. Uh, if you want to talk about purveyors of systemic racism in the United States of America, maybe that's where the council culture should look at first and foremost. Yeah, if you, I just read Grant, and it's over a thousand pages, and you want it's hard to imagine how things have reversed because the Democratic Party was the party of the KKK. They were the ones that would mm-hmm. was uh, refusing to acknowledge they lost the war. They were the ones who refused to look at African Americans as equals. And now suddenly that coin has flipped. So I'm going to ask you the last question. Senator Tim Scott told me that I met he met with the president more times than he ever thought he would meet with any president, and he likes him. But he says at times he could be racially insensitive. And the president will take all types of input from people he respects like Tim. You're somebody else he respects. Is that a message you will bring to him, too, being not only for for life but for political purposes to let the black community know they do have a alternative? And is that a message you bring to him if asked? Well, I will tell you that this Republican Party of Texas was founded on Independence Day of 1867 by 150 black men. Uh, and I think that that's what the president needs to emphasize. I would tell the president that emphasize the fact that it was Senate Democrats 
who had the longest filibuster in U.S. Senate history, and it was against the Civil Rights Act. I would tell the president to talk about the low, uh, the soft bigotry of low expectations that you see from the from the left. Keep talking about better education opportunities in the inner city. Talk about the issue that is probably preeminent in the black community. That's fatherlessness. Twenty four percent of black kids have a mother and father in the home today, and I think that is one of the problems right. that you see, and that comes from the Great Society programs of Lyndon Johnson. So, again, I think the president has a great opportunity to draw these clear delineations between his policies, what he has done for the black community, as opposed to what the Democrat Party wants to do. And that's something they have historically been doing to the black community. Colonel West, always great to talk to you. I look forward to catching up with you after you go to the White House. Thank you, my friend. All right. Congratulations again. Meanwhile, coming up next, uh, let's talk sports. The NFL about to open up camps. What hurdles do they have to clear? How do you how would you feel if you were going to go into camp? Dave Caldwell, general manager of the Jacksonville Jaguars, coming up next. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Especially for, like, guys on the team who have a... Families at home, wives and kids, things of that nature, you know, um, and, you know, you get, you got a possibility of getting exposed to it at any time. That is uh, Jaguars' Juwan Taylor uh, at a news conference yesterday talking to a local affiliate there in Jacksonville about some of his concerns going into camp. But he's going, offensive tackle with the team, and that pleases Dave Caldwell as general manager of the Jaguars and joins us now. And we're lucky enough to be on WOKV in Jacksonville, so it's certainly your familiar name to them. Dave, first off, thanks for joining us. What are your thoughts in this training camp about to start like no other? It's it's been uh, pretty wild, Brian. Uh, to be honest with you, and uh, you know it's been uh, it's been an interesting week. We've had the rookies in for about uh, six days now. They've all been tested and gone through the protocol, and um, it's, it's been really encouraging seeing how the process works and and, uh, and being in it on a daily basis. You can see how what the NFL has put forward with the NFLPA. The, the guidance that they've given us and, and how this is going to work. And uh, we're seeing positive results right now. Have they played? Have the rookies actually played football? They have not. Uh, yesterday was the first day they had a, a walkthrough and uh, they're doing their conditioning and uh, the weight room stuff and, and just some uh, virtual meetings. How many players of yours, Dave, are going to take up to take the option, which is the league is making available not to play? Yes, we have not uh, had anybody right now opt out as far as we know. Um, but uh, we'll wait and see. I, I know that the league and the NFLPA is still going through some uh, particulars on, on how that's going to work and, and the date. Uh, so uh, we're just going to wait and see. And, uh, but we have not heard any rumblings of any of our guys quite yet. Full season planned, no preseason games. I know Doug Marone, your coach, that's a better question for him. He'd much rather be in these games, I, I understand. But when you guys go to play now, What's going to be different about the your system, like from the players, from the minute they walk in, from the locker room to the field? Well, obviously, the the protocol of, of having to, to wear a mask and, and social distancing is, is going to be in effect. Um, obviously, uh, you know 
they're going to be tested uh, regularly uh, before the game and and the days leading up to it. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing is that um, you know just a social responsibility for for every player to to take care of himself and to to not put himself at risk or his teammates or his coaches. So I'm sure you know about what happened with the Marlins. And they're the Miami Marlins over in Philadelphia. They had 11 players test positive, and now it looks like they're not going to be playing for a week or two. You guys also will not be in a bubble, unlike the MLS and NBA. When you see something like that happen, what if 11 Jaguars test positive? Well, what the league has put forward is we're going to carry some extra practice squad players, and uh, we're just going to make sure that you know every, we're going to have 69 players between the practice squad and the the 53 active guys that we can interchangeable on, on a weekly basis. So we're just going to make sure that everybody's going to have to be ready and, and, and all hands on deck. So that's the attitude. Uh, like guys, even though we lost our whole offensive line because <laughs> they all hang out together. So next up, next man is the attitude. Yep. Uh, we have to find a way to make it work. I think the last time we talked not on the show is uh, encourage everybody in the building is let's not find a reason why we can't do it and find a reason why we can. And um, I think the league's put together a good plan and, you know, and you can see it working as we speak. Here's more from your player, uh, Juwan Taylor, Cup 45. I've never wore a visor to go all the way down to the bottom of my face mask. So if anything, I'll test it out for probably a practice or two to see how I feel. But if I can't breathe, then I got to get rid of it. Go back to the regular visor. <laughs> Uh, I know that the visor is an option, so that will go underneath the face mask if they wanted to do it. Yeah, if they wanted to do it, I know I know they're recommending, and I, and I know they're still going through some process of of actually looking at different uh, scenarios for those. So uh, there will be some options for the players to use those uh, visors or face masks, however they they look, and uh, it'll be up to them. and And I'm I'm happy Juwan has decided to play. He's a great young man, and, and he's going to be a great young player for us. Dave, you called around the league, and you, I'm sure you talked to your colleagues, the people you've been working with the last 20 years. What are they thinking? Are they, what kind of advice are they giving? What kind of advice are you giving? Well, um, to, to be honest with you, I think we're all trying to learn and as we go, and this is a new normal for us, and, and uh, we're just trying to take in as much information and make as good of educated decisions that we can make, and, and obviously putting our uh, every employee and our players' health at, at is paramount and making sure that this is a safe environment and uh, making sure that our building is as pristine and, and as clean as possible for these guys to come into work and where they're not at any uh, additional risk. So, uh, Dave, the other thing is, will you be in any sort of bubble? Are you asking players to stay in the same hotel during the week or are you giving them total freedom? They have the option to stay at a hotel, and, and we have room for the guys and, and most of the rookies that don't have places to stay are staying at a hotel, and, and uh, the hotel is uh, is uh, up to testing standards for the people that work there, too. And then the veterans can stay at home. So uh, we're just putting our faith into the players and, and hoping that they uh, are socially responsible. There are some new stipulations uh, with this and that the league has asked uh, with the coordination with the NFLPA for the players to not be in crowded spaces, not to go to indoor parties with more than 15 people, not to go to sporting events, not, you know, so not to go to bars and and nightclubs and stuff like that. So there are some things that are um, agreed upon with the players that they have to, you know, 
scale back. And the same with myself. I had conversations with my wife the other day and, and about going out to dinner throughout the season. And we're going to be staying at home mostly. So she was she was relatively thrilled about that. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Every day it's going to be cooking, ordering in. Fantastic. And then it's going to be hopefully get the kids back in school. Everything's new to everybody. I love the fact that you guys are giving it a shot. Dave Caldwell, best of luck this year with the Jaguars. Thanks, Brian. All right, and uh, best luck to your coach, Doug Marone. You got new quarterbacks coach and Ben McAdoo, former coach of the Giants, and Jay Gruden, former coach of the Skins. Oops, the Washington Football Club. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we're coming to you uh, live from New York, but heard around the country, this great nation of ours. Uh, and we do have a big hour. Uh, Robert Wolf will be with us. Fox News contributor, former economic advisor to President Obama. Fair and balanced guy, because we're talking about another stimulus package. And I'll do a simulcast on Stuart Varney. He'll be well be on Fox Business Network at the same time. He'll be, we'll be sharing audiences. I'll be sharing... All my listeners with his viewers, it's always fun when we do that. The President of the United States is, uh, is going to be uh, meeting with Colonel Allen West. We know that tomorrow. And we know today the bar show starts in a matter of minutes. What am I talking about? The Attorney General of the United States will go in front of the House Natural Resources Committee and hold hearings on what they call unanswered questions about the U.S. Park. Police's move on June 1st. Remember when he went down to... The big uh, the the church there. They didn't like that at Lafayette Square. They also don't like his, his characterization of the Mueller report. They also don't like they sending federal troops into these cities. I have news for you. I guarantee you, they are not ready to deal with Attorney General Barr. That is for certain. Because guess what? He actually wants to talk to them. Not only does you know he's going to take it. He'll be relaxed. And he's going to come back because if they don't have their A game or if they don't let him talk, that'll be the issue. We're talking about these protests. Also, uh, Governor Cuomo of New York, we all know that he loves his national profile and thinks he's never did anything wrong. The nursing home thing worked out well, didn't it? Uh, Governor Cuomo went to Savannah, Georgia to share his brilliance with the people uh, in Savannah. And when he goes up to the mayor of Savannah, he gives her a hug. Hmm. Is that social distancing? And he doesn't have a mask. The mayor apologized. Will the governor, while he's handing out 27 summonses and possibly grabbing liquor licenses for the beleaguered restaurateurs and bar owners in Manhattan, those horrible people who want to do this thing called survive. Let's get started. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Miami Marlins will not play their two games in Miami tonight and tomorrow. If the testing results are acceptable, um, the Marlins will resume play in Baltimore on Wednesday against the Orioles. Uh, Rob Manford, you're the commissioner of Major League Baseball. It sounds like you're making it up. I hope not. Sports are in trouble. Baseball's already having to pump the brakes to multiple teams, including the Phillies-Yankees game, because guess who the Phillies played yesterday? The Marlins. Guess who had 11 players test positive? The Marlins. So, the Yankees offered, hey, do you want to go back to the Bronx? The Phillies said, no thanks. They postponed. Uh, We'll see what happens. To me, 
there's got to be a protocol. Clean the place. Major League Baseball Commissioner Manfred uh, says no plans to cancel the season. No plans to go into a bubble situation. I'll give you the latest on the NFL, too. Number two. I'm honored just to be reported to be among them. You know, each of those women has different strengths and backgrounds. But my comparative strength is my many years of service at the high levels uh, of the executive branch. Right. Does it mean good service? No one doubts how bright she is, and she does have experience. But Susan Rice, you would be a gift to Republicans if he named you the running mate. And I'm talking about Joe Biden. 98 days till Election Day. We'll talk about the VP stakes. Meanwhile, Washington continues to debate the details of the new coronavirus stimulus package. I'll bring you those details. Number one. He's clearly targeted cities run by Democratic mayors. He said so himself. He's using law enforcement as a political tool. I hate to say it, Aaron, but I really believe that we are seeing the dry run for martial law. You are nuts. Mayor Jenny Durkin, clueless and inept. Stop calling the protesters protesters. They are rioters. Front and center beleaguered overmatched Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler also now wants to talk to the Trump team about a way out after 61 days of chaos on his streets. And by the way, those people in the streets hate you too. The message on real racial equality, a conversation we all should be having and enjoying so we can make progress as a country is not happening. It's been smothered by this Antifa agenda. And that's where we'll start. I almost thought that was number four for a second. I need to take a breath. If you want to know what it's like on the streets, I want you to hear what Ami Horowitz did. He went to the streets of the protesters. And they're not protesters. They're rioters. Now, some show up because they want to make things better. They want their city, which hadn't been a problem. I understand. I don't live in Portland. Hasn't been a problem. It's not exactly Minneapolis or Chicago. But they are rioting there out of control because the police have been neutralized and the Liberal mayor is totally over his head. So you want to know what it's like on the streets? Ami Horowitz went on the streets. Listen to him. Cut to. You think chaos is a good tool in order to reshuffle the deck? It's become a useful tool. Chaos, that's a complete reboot. So do you think that organized chaos will work? Yes. 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 Keyword, organized chaos. I think uh, it could be used as a tool. Should we be able to use that chaos to tear down the system and then to ultimately rebuild it? I believe so. Yeah. Hmm. These are young people who don't understand nor want to experience capitalism. They don't want to compete. They don't want to try to make it out in their careers. They don't want to make $33,000 on their first job, even though they went to college. They don't want to get on a path to success because it might include failure or they might have absolutely no direction because their parents are inept or they didn't have parents. We have to raise these people now and deal with the chaos and violence that they're bringing to the streets. So you heard what Jenny Durkin said as this terrible mayor from Seattle. I'll give you one more clip from our cut four. I believe if you look at what happened yesterday and Sunday, again, it was peaceful. We had a number of peaceful protests. And what we've seen is every time this president promises to sow division, he's successful at it. And he is he's clearly targeted cities run by Democratic mayors. He said so himself. He's using law enforcement as a political tool. I hate to say it, Aaron, but I really believe that we are seeing the dry run for martial law. She is nuts. If we left her alone, the whole place would be steamrolled. The president's trying to put some teeth behind his 
proclamation that he will not let chaos reign in this country. Where's Joe Biden on this? Are you pro-chaos or are you going to deny that these are actually protests? So Mike Balasamo, I don't know anything except for he write about Mike, except for his Twitter feed is out there and it's transparent. I'll just, we made it concise for you. I'll read it all in one. So he was asked by the Fed, federal agents to go behind the scenes with them in Portland over the weekend. And here's what he tells us. I spent the weekend inside the Portland Federal Courthouse with the U.S. Marshals. Mortars were being fired off repeatedly. Fireworks and flares shot into the lobby. Hmm. So it is the Trump federal agents that are a problem, or are they shooting their own mortars into their own lobby? Frozen bottles, concrete cans, and bouncy balls regularly whizzed over the fence at high speeds. Hmm. I watched as injured officers were hauled inside. In one case, the commercial firework came over so fast the officer didn't have time to respond. It burned through his sleeves, and he had bloody gashes on both arms. Does that sound like somebody fighting for racial justice? Another had a con- that is my word. Sorry, I should make that clear. Another had a concussion from being hit in the head with a mortar. The lights inside the courthouse have been turned off for safety, and the light from high-powered lasers bounced across the lobby almost all night. And according to reports over the last week, three officers may have been permanently blinded by those lasers. The fear is palpable. Three officers were struck in the last few weeks and still have not regained their vision. The officers outside the Portland courthouse have been hit by an array of objects from canned food and ball bearings fired from slingshots. Peaceful, right? On Saturday night, a DHS officer was so completely in orange paint, thrown from one of the many paint cans later seized by authorities. It was clear the USMS tactical decisions this weekend were very thought out. Even after large holes were cut in the fence on Saturday night, they made a decision not to go out because it could escalate tensions. They cleared the area only after huge sections of the fence was pulled down. Okay. So is it Donald Trump that's making things worse, that's dividing the country? Or is it Donald Trump that's saying as president, I can't stand by anymore? This is going to go to his political benefit. And I don't care about politics, but in July it matters because people are taking polls like crazy and it looks like Donald Trump doesn't have a chance and Joe Biden is forming his uh is uh, is uh, basically forming his cabinet not so fast. Who's behind it? Dan Crenshaw weighed in. Dan Crenshaw, the Navy SEAL, congressman from Texas. He's seen this pattern, cut eight. There is a lot of fear, there's a lot of stoking. So I so I encourage people to Calm down and take a step back and look at the big picture here. What are we seeing? I think fundamentally what we're seeing is a hostage crisis. You have a lot of violent left-wing mobs, Antifa mobs, saying that if you don't give us power, if you don't give our political wing, the Democratic Party, power, we're going to keep terrorizing your cities. Now, why do I say that their political wing is the Democratic Party? Well, because I find it interesting that Democrats cannot, for the life of them, condemn Antifa and these violent mobs. All right. Whether it's whether it's sugarcoating the behavior as mostly peaceful or Jerry Nadler saying Antifa's a myth. We remember Eric Swalwell said he's never heard of Antifa. Remember the governor of Washington refused to even acknowledge that Chaz existed at first. There's a pattern here. I'm going to get into that with Mark Morgan next. Real quick on sports. I know some of you out there, as I said last hour, and you're saying, well, you know, I can go to all sports radio if I want sports. I, I'm just going to talk about how it, what it means during the pandemic in our society because there's so much business done in and around sports. We don't have ushers because we don't have fans. We don't have parking attendants. We don't have fans. We don't have vendors because we don't have fans. But the PR people, the media relations people, uh, the, the trainers, the – General managers, the vice presidents, the promotion people, 
there's a lot of jobs in and around football, let alone the players. They're all putting themselves uh, at risk, the virus, because they're going to be out in a, free, in a crowded workplace. Well, I'm in the city. Uh, Eric and Peter here. Allison's here. We're all in the city. If you, uh, you know, back at work, you know, it's not as crowded, but, you know, we're out there and I'm happy to do it. But in the big picture, this is going to be the biggest week in, in sports in modern times because baseball is being tested because the Marlins are taking a break uh, for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. They got to keep going. Number two, they're going to have to play some doubleheaders and make some adjustments. And football's reporting to camp. They're going to have to start playing football. And football is not something that can be done at half speed. They're going to have no preseason games. People are going to test positive. My hope is they understand people are watching and we got to work through it while being safe and smart because you're going to get it and you're going to survive. I'm Brian Kilmeade. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, Mark Morgan. Then we get the economic realities from Robert Wolf on this new stimulus package. And then in between, we'll get Stuart Varney and do a simulcast. Busy hour. Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We don't need the help that the president's offering. And in fact, I think the president's actions have directly escalated and were responsible for what happened this weekend. Many people who were interviewed by media said they came to the protest because of what's happening in Portland. The protest itself was billed as something in solidarity with Portland. That's Seattle mayor blaming the presence of 100 federal agents on the problems in Seattle, Portland, Austin, New York. I guess I'm going to pretend to buy it just to make it a better segment. Here's Mark Morgan, acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Many of his people are helping out, too. Mark, what's your reaction to the blaming of federal agents presence for the unrest? Look, it's unconscionable, Brian, and I really do believe that most American people, they're looking at what's happening, they're actually watching with their own eyes and understanding that that's just not true. Again, Portland, the violence was there in Portland well before we put additional resources there. We had actual credible intelligence that the federal bill was going to be attacked by anarchists. That's why we put additional resources, and lo and behold, that's exactly what's happened. It's been happening for the last, you know, four and a half weeks every single night, destroying the building and harming uh, intentionally harming a federal agents and officers. That's the truth. That's the facts. So when, when people say federal agents, who is it? So, it, it, so that's a very important uh, question. Is first of all, FPS, the Federal Protective Service that falls under DHS, they have the statutory responsibility to protect federal buildings, about 9,000 in the United States. Not if they'd like to. It's, it's, a, it's a mandatory statutory responsibility. And so when, and as part of DHS, when something happens where they need additional resources, the, uh, law enforcement entities within DHS will surge resources to help. So that's what's happening. ICE is there, we're there, and the United States Marshals also there because they have a statutory responsibility for, for courthouses specifically. So, so you've got multiple agencies that are there to enforce the rule of law, to enforce their statutory responsibility. I want you to hear, uh, before we talk about Antifa, I want you to think, here's one Democratic lawmaker, Jerry Nadler, on Antifa. Cut seven. There's violence across the whole country. Do you disavow the violence from Antifa? That's happening in Portland right now? There's that, riots. That's, that, that's a myth that's being spread only in Washington, D.C. About Antifa in Portland? Yes. 
Uh, by the way, Eric Swalwell says he's never even heard of it. Again, Brian, I, I have a confidence and, and, and belief and trust in American people that they see that, that, that statement for what it is. Look, I don't want to get ahead of the Attorney General's uh, statements on the hearing he's going to be doing today. But again, I'll go back to the facts. Every single night, here are the facts. Peaceful protesters are taken over and they're hijacked by anarchists every single night. They are willfully coordinating, planning, and organizing, and they're bringing weapons they're bringing weapons every single night to destroy the federal building and harm federal officers. Every single night, they are trying to actually light the federal building on fire and burn it to the ground with law enforcement people inside. We've had 189 law enforcement agents uh, uh, seriously injured, and I could go on and on. Uh, so it's just it's unbelievable that we still hear that kind of rhetoric going on. Ted Wheeler, the Portland mayor who would not meet with the HHS secretary, says he's now calling for an immediate meeting with the Department of Homeland Security and find, uh, on the ground uh, to find a way to cut a ceasefire and remove federal troops from Portland. Will you, uh, not, they're not asking for you, but do you think Homeland Security will meet with them and is leaving on the table? Look, first of all, I take exception, and I think he's using the words on purpose, cease fire, right? Like it's some sort of battleground. It is not. It is not. These are federal agents doing their statutory responsibility to protect that building against criminals, against anarchists. And so I really take exception with his use of that phrase. And yes, look, Brian, any time that federal, city, state law enforcement agencies work together, we are more effectively. That's what we've been asking for from the very beginning, for, for city resources, for state resources to come together, to join with the federal partners, to come up with a solution to stop the violence. If we did, if, if state police came in with, with assistance, we could end this overnight. That's exactly what we're trying to do in Chicago and other cities. It's, it's different in the sense that it, it's not attacks on federal courthouses, but the spike in violence. Anytime that you can have federal, city, and state local resources work together in task force environment, it's been effective. I've been doing it for 30 years. So you have here, you have a presence in Seattle. Do you believe, uh, uh, can you confirm that another 100 agents are heading to Portland? So, you know, Brian, hopefully you can understand. I, I don't want to give out specific details on deployment size for operational security reasons, but what I can tell you, there are additional resources there. And, and there, why is there additional resources there? Because the violence has increased. I mean, it was only a couple of nights ago where, where the, the, the anarchy was in the thousands, and, and they absolutely were attacking the, 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 the courthouse and our agents. We, I'll give you an example. We have a couple of agents out there, DHS folks, that, that because of the assaults, lasers, in their eyes, uh, physicians are saying they may not get, gain full, uh, their full eyesight back ever. I mean, that's what we're talking about. I could keep going on and on. It, it's absolutely outrageous. It's got to stop. And we've got to work together across the law enforcement community if we're going to resolve this. So, Mark, uh, in, the big, in the big picture, when the president asks you how it's going, video aside, what do you tell him? Look, I, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, talk about discussions on a, I'm a specific with the president. But, but here, here's what I can say, though, is undoubtedly this president, he, he has, he's remained consistent since his, his uh, before he got elected and, and since is that he is for protecting American people. Gotcha. He is for the law and order. I and, get that. And, and, but, 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 Brian, I tell you, it's very important. Mark, we got the men and women out there. It's very important. I got you. Mark Morgan, thanks. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm honored just to be reported to be among them. You know, each of those women has different strengths and backgrounds. It's true, I have not run for elective office, even though I've worked on behalf of others and on three presidential campaigns, and I feel like I've run on other people's behalf. But my comparative strength, Jonathan, and we each have our own, is my many years of service at the high levels uh, of the executive branch. I know how to make government work and produce results that'll be beneficial for the American people. Uh, That is Susan Rice, who absolutely wants to be the vice president's uh, pick as a running mate. And I've never seen anything like it. This is outwardly campaigning to please pick me. She is one of the finalists. I can't believe Kamala Harris would be eliminated just because she doesn't back off her statement where she said one after... Joe Biden about one of his votes when it came to uh, busing uh, 30 years ago. Robert Wolf joins us, Fox News contributor, former economic advisor uh, to President Obama and founder and CEO of 32 Advisors. Uh, Robert, welcome back. Brian, thanks for having me on. So first off, do you uh, believe the report that Christopher Dodd in vetting candidates would not is recommending against Kamala Harris because she will not back off her statement that she does not regret going after Vice President Biden during the primaries? I mean, I I, obviously I can't say whether Chris Dodd is holding that against uh, Kamala or not. I mean, when you are one of the people being chosen to vet vice presidential candidates, you have to look at, you know, everything from their past history to their recent history. And, you know, Chris Dodd and, and there, there's a group of them, as well as other people like James Clyburn and Cedric Richmond will have views. They'll take, you know, the, the group of the, the finalists and say, OK, who's best to help get the vice president elected? Who's best to be his partner? Who maybe fills a void he may or may not have? But the one thing that President Obama has always said, it's the top of the ticket that people vote on. But so, not in this case, really, yeah. but I, I think yeah, more I think, than no, ever, I think in this case, 77 year old guy that says I'm an interim, I'm an I'll be an I'm an interim uh, candidate. I don't think he's used the word interim, but uh, transitional, but transitional. Well, I think transitional is 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 an interesting way. I think it's it's accurate to say um, that he'll likely do one term only. I think it's accurate to say he'll be transitional. But it's not accurate to say who's ever his vice president will be the next president of the United States. Leg so up, I think though. he's looking at today and looking at it in a very clear, clear perspective. And I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a there's still four or five. I mean, Kamala absolutely is still in the, the running. She's probably still the lead person. You obviously have Susan Rice, who has incredible national security uh, experience. Elizabeth Warren on the economy. And a lot of people now are talking about Karen Bass, who is the chair of the Black Caucus. All right. So so let's break that down a little. This is this is the statement. Uh, This is a person who's close to Chris Dodd. Say concerns about Harris was so deep 
that he's helped ele- it helped elevate California Congressman Karen Bass Nismai. So he's now selling her hard during the vetting process, urging Biden to pick her because she's a loyal number two. And that's what he wants. A loyal number two. The problem is uh, among the problems in her background is uh, she called Fidel Castro uh, commander in chief. And she's like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that a while ago. But when you look at uh, Karen Bass and your answer might be yes. As Joe Biden says, the criteria is somebody that could serve right away should something happen to me. And he's 77 years old. Do you see Karen Bass as a president? So. Brian, I think that's a fair question. Um, one, I don't know Karen Bass. I've known Kamala Either Harris does Joe Biden, evidently. Well, let me just, well, that, I don't know if that's true. I think that they uh, they built a pretty strong relationship uh, a few years back when Karen Bass had uh, a fatal incident with her family, and she reached out to Joe, um, and they shared a lot of uh, memories on things uh, like that. And also, she does cheer the Black Caucus, so I would say that they do have um, knowledge and um, experience working together. What I was going to say is I know Kamala and Susan Rice and Elizabeth Warren better. They certainly feel to me, because I know them, that they're ready to step in day one. Karen Bass, I would just be speculating if I gave you my views. Susan Rice is assets are, are um, foreign policy, uh, like Joe Biden. Wouldn't you want somebody that has a different uh, skill set? So it's interesting. I've had the uh, honor and good fortune of working with Susan Rice when I was on the Export Council because looking at things like TPP and export trade. And um, But two things I would say. One, recall, she was first U.N. ambassador. So she touched a lot of things. I mean, you think about the pandemic and how the U.N. works with the WHO. And, um, so there's no question. I think she's definitely have a broad-based skill set. I also think with respect to foreign policy, I mean, it's going to be critical that we get our foreign policy, what I would say, back in play with our allies. We have certainly, I would tell you, under the Trump administration, it's been broken. I know you and I would debate that. But I think that it's critically important that we get it back. And and I think Susan Weiss, you know, when you think about the Paris Accord, you know, obviously. Don't tell me you're for getting back into that. I am for getting back to the Paris Accord. And destroy our whole energy sector? Wait a second, second, Brian. So are you telling me you're a climate denier? I'm I'm telling you right now, I don't want the rest of the world setting my my energy policy. And there's there's a practical way to do it, and it's not in that Paris climate. Brian, Brian, that's not accurate. Okay, it's not policy. It's a guideline that that we can actually influence the way we want. And actually, most people so, think it's a positive if we reduce carbon emissions. Are you for carbon emissions? On my own. I don't want to answer to the global community, and I don't want to sit there and pretend emissions? that Russia and China are going to adhere to it, Robert Wolf. I didn't say that. Wait a second. There are guidelines on how we should best look at climate with all the nations together. It's interesting that us and like Iran are the ones who don't sign on to it. And guidelines and policies are to be iterative, right? You have to make changes. So I think it's a great base to start off of. You Ugh. obviously disagree. Yeah, obviously. Um, the prob- <laughs> the, prob- the only thing we disagree about. Right. So, I mean, when it, I can't wait to talk about the economy because I don't think we should disagree. You know more about the economy than almost anybody listening and certainly more than me. But I want to talk about the stimulus package in a second, because that's yeah. what you do every day and what you've already accomplished yeah. in your career is better than on 99.9% of the people in the financial sector. So I want to ask you to, 
about the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party. 600 delegates have not signed on out of 4,000, not signed on to the party platform that was offered because no Medicare for all, no single payer. And you will they will not. uh, The Bernie Sanders people want redirection of funds away from police. The Biden people don't want that. So 600 of the Bernie people aren't aboard. This is what undid Hillary Clinton. Are you worried? So I'm not worried. And I I understand. I mean, a few things. You said a bunch of things I have to unpack. One, yes, the delegates have to actually have to be part of the package they believe. There are a group of people who believe solely in the Green New Deal or solely in health care, Medicare for all. The the Biden campaign has been clear. They believe health care is a right, but they believe both are a public-private option. They believe in a Green New Deal, not necessarily this Green New Deal. And if there's going to be some people that don't sign on for that platform, so be it. What I would say is very different, Brian, than the election today in 2016 is in 2016, at that point, there was a lack of excitement by part of the base with Hillary Clinton. And there also seemed to be a lack of motivation to vote. Right. At that point, people didn't really know Donald Trump, but they had a view of Hillary Clinton and a bunch of people weren't positive on that view. Today, if you look at the polls, the motivation for Democrats to vote is like the highest it's ever been. Just look at what's happened since the 2018 midterms and beyond. Right. The number of voters in those who only got a, up. Only got a minute left, but, but I, would be wor- I would be worried about some things coming out of the black community about things Joe Biden is saying. Uh, real quick, on the HEALS Act that, the, that offered by the Republicans, $1,200 yeah. checks for qualifying individuals, $190 billion for the Paycheck Protection Program, $105 billion in school funding, liability protections. Where the people are focused on is the $600 a week for people not to work, along with unemployment benefits. It kept people out of the workforce. Do you agree? And where would you be on that? So two things. One, I think they're missing big by not making sure they give to states and cities funding. Otherwise, we're not going to have services. We're not going to have teachers. We're not going to have police and fire because they have to run an even budget, no deficit. Number two, I disagree um, with the idea that people who collect unemployment benefits don't want to work. No, the extra, the extra, the extra 600. I know the extra, the 600. You give them a job, they want to work. There is no data no, I'm, saying that. I'm getting a lot of people telling me they can't get it's them. It's not true, though. There's not data. Hey, Bob, to be continued, I got uh, Stuart Vaughn. I got to do a simulcast. Oh, it was great. Look Bob Wolf, thanks so much. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. We got about, uh, we'll be on with Stuart for about five minutes. Then I'm going to take your calls, 1 866 408 7669. And there's a lot going on here uh, in New York in particular. Uh, we found out, too, uh, for baseball reasons, and we will be talking sports, the Yankees won't be playing tonight. Uh, they were supposed to play at Philadelphia against the Phillies, against Joe Girardi, their ex-manager, but they're not playing. Not because there's a problem with the Phillies. The problem with the, who the Phillies played last night, it was the, Mar- uh, the Marlins. They had 11 players test positive, kind of going through the team. They said, well, who wants to use that locker room? We clean it out. To me... 
come out with a protocol on cleaning. I thought they had it, whether it's those those UV rays that clean out uh, the clean out space situation, you know, the space labs or UV rays that cleans out the prisons that are so effective in the past. Seemed to me it would make, it would make sense. So let's listen in. 1051, joining me now on the radio, Brian Kilmeade, host of The Brian Kilmeade Show. First of all, Brian, the owners of the gym in New Jersey arrested for ignoring the governor's lockdown order. Democrat leaders seem to be punishing small businesses for trying to pay their bills during the epidemic. What do you say about this? Well, if you want to avoid prison, just tear down a Christopher Columbus statue. That's looked up to. Yeah, it's no problem. If you want want to avoid prison, just grab a Molotov cocktail and toss it out a police car. That'll be fine. But if you own a gym, have thousands of people go through it, have nobody test positive, preach health and fitness and responsibility, then you got to shut them down to the point where... They, they tried to board it up. They tried to lock it up. Then they finally took their own doors off the gym and slept there. They kept the locker rooms closed. These guys are, have great constituents. They're, they're, they're model citizens, yet they end up in jail. What a joke. And by the way, people listening right now, not only do you not go to gyms, think about those gym owners. Their margins are small. They were on the best day. They're barely making a profit, able to pay their people. Guess what? They've been closed with no hope in the New York, Long Island area. They're all going belly up and the governors don't care. They don't. They absolutely don't care about business in the Northeast and New Jersey in particular. I've got that off my chest. Let's talk sports, because this is real serious stuff. Major League Baseball trying to contain the outbreak of the virus, but we've got the Marlins, 17 of them now tested positive, and we're hearing that the Yankees-Phillies game for tonight has been cancelled, second night in a row. NFL training camps uh, start today. Eight players already opting out. Seems to me that baseball and maybe even football in some real trouble here. What do you say? Let's put it in perspective. First of what's working. MLS is working. They went into the bubble. It's almost done in that mini tournament. Hope to resume full-term play where they visit other stadiums in the fall. So that worked. What's working? The NBA goes to the bubble. What I mean by that is they're not allowed to leave, really, in case there's a family emergency. If they do, they quarantine. They take some daily tests when they're away. And that's what's happened with, uh, with others. So those were working. Baseball was working, but the biggest challenge for them, Stuart, as you know, is they travel. Different locker rooms, planes, buses, cabs, whatever. I'm sure they're not allowed to take cabs or Ubers, but this is their first hurdle. The question is, have, with all these months, and it's been six months, have they built in the protocols? Okay, we lost 11 players. They have a triple A, they have a double A, they have a single A, they got a rookie league. And by the way, the Marlins are basically triple A anyway. So you bring up people to fill in. If you have to delay, you delay, but you can't take off for two weeks. And what I think there's an opportunity here, when those Marlins come back and they're healthy and you see them diving for balls and hitting home runs, knowing that just 10 days prior they had the COVID-19 virus, what a great message that is. You can get it. You can beat it. You can keep the antibodies to prevent it. And we can move on. But they need to expand their roster and get some people in. The next challenge is going to be cleaning out that locker room so the Yankees can play the Phillies where the Marlins were. I don't understand how UV UV ray cleaning that can clean prisons and it can clean uh, space the space program and space shuttle uh, when we had one is can't do this. I mean, why don't we have that? So clean out that locker room. It's been a day, but, but there is clearly a demand. For sports, I, I'm told that the, uh, the Yankees opener, uh, Fox, had the highest oh, yeah. baseball game ratings in 10 years of any network. Right? Need it. Absolutely need it. 
Also, resourcefulness and resilience. When things go wrong in life, we learn so much from sports if you choose to learn from it. Resourcefulness. Your coach gets fired. You have to overcome an injury. you got to play anyway. How are you going to adjust? Hostile crowd, bad field. How are you going to play? We lost seven guys to the virus. Who's going to step up? Who's going to use it as an opportunity? And when what happens in football, which is invariably, it'll happen in football. They've expanded the rosters. I just talked to David Caldwell of the Jacksonville Jaguars. They welcome their players today. Their rookies last week. They're just started playing football with the rookies this week, and that's what it's going to be about. We're not going to cut you because you get the virus, but we're going to give other people an opportunity to fill your spot while keeping you on the roster. And if you ask me, 32 teams, 60 men roster, maybe bigger, and only eight players said, I don't want to play, and they still get a basic salary, which I think is fair, I think that's a pretty good number. And basically, football is a collision sport anyway. To get on that field, you need courage and you need, to, you need uh, persistence. Oh. Well so said, if, uh, what's a virus compared well to getting hit by a defensive lineman at 100 miles an hour? But, but well, well said. Look on the upside. Look at some courage and determination and grit. Good stuff. Brian, thank you, sir. Get back to the radio. All right. I'll Sounds stay on good. TV. <laughs> All right. I am now uh, off. We can bring the cameras down. And now we are set. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I know we're not a sports show, uh, but you know we talk about everything here. I used to do all sports radio as well. Jay, listening on KJJ in Arizona. Jay. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Oh, um, what you were just talking about. Uh, you know, these uh, teams, they could definitely uh, expand their roster. Yeah. And they could definitely play sports. And, you know, if you're checking positive for the virus, well, you're just going to have to step away for a little while, you know. And, mm-hmm. and if they feel like, you know, they uh, don't want to play because they're afraid to catch the virus, well, it's just more opportunity for players, and it's great for the sport to keep going. Absolutely. I mean, there's players who play through cancer. You feel like you're susceptible, don't play. If you got diabetes, don't play. If you have MS and are playing through it, don't play. I get it. And if you just don't feel comfortable because you have a young child at home, it's okay, even though it's almost impossible to give it to a kid. So whatever makes you feel, and I think football does something that almost no other business does. They're paying these players maybe $250,000, even if they don't play. That'll pay the mortgage, even on the mansion, for a year. And then they're back. Work through it, guys. So Brian Kilmeade Show. Have a, a lot more coming your way uh, at one 408 Don't move. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We do have some information. I thought we'd be talking about the bar show right now, AG Bar, but it's not going on as he gets tries to go in front of the House Committee to answer all their myriad of questions and accusations because Jerry Nadler, Jerry Nadler, uh, was in a car accident. He's supposed to be okay. They're supposed to start shortly. So we'll give you the update on that. I'm going to keep you updated. And we might even dip in and out of that. Uh, the bar's opening statement shows he's not going to back down, not going to back off. Vice President Biden will deliver remarks on the fourth plank, much anticipated, tongue-in-cheek, build back better plan. 
more generic things like work harder and get a solar car. Uh, and let's continue to do what uh, Donald Trump's doing, only I'll do it in a more concise way or whatever Barack Obama wants me to. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Gerard Baker, editor-at-large uh, editor of the Wall Street Journal, about his article that came out today in the editorial section of the Wall Street Journal, talking about Joe Biden and his role in the Russia investigation, which I'm sure he does not want to revisit. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The Miami Marlins will not play their two games in Miami tonight and tomorrow. If the testing results are acceptable, um, the Marlins will resume play in Baltimore on Wednesday against the Orioles. All right, uh, sports in trouble. Baseball already having 17 Marlins test positive for the virus. They need to play, uh, and they need to find a way out of this because they won't be the only team to have this happen. Yankees have been postponed, too, because they were going to use the Marlins locker room to play the Phillies, who played the Marlins last night. The commissioner has to go to his plan B right away. Keep your fingers crossed the season continues. Keep your fingers crossed as well. The NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell's letter answers a lot of your questions that he put out to fans today as players report to training camps. Number two. I'm honored just to be reported to be among them. You know, each of those women has different strengths and backgrounds, but my comparative strength is my many years of service at the high levels uh, of the executive branch. Now that is Susan Rice, hopes to be the VP pick for Joe Biden. 98 days to Election Day. We'll also tell you why I believe the president's on a bit of a roll right now if he can keep the narrative and stay the disciplined person he's been over the last 10 days. Number one. He's clearly targeted cities run by Democratic mayors. He said so himself. He's using law enforcement as a political tool. I hate to say it, Aaron, but I really believe that we are seeing the dry run for martial law. Uh, yes, that's very true. Mayor Jenny Durkin, the dry run, run for martial law. The woman that says it's going to be a summer of love while she blessed the autonomous zone. Stop calling them protesters. They are riots. Front and center, beleaguered, overmatched Portland mayor as well, Ted Wheeler, now wants to talk to the Trump team about a deal if they would just leave their city to burn on its own. 61 days of protests isn't enough for them. Uh, we talked about racial equality, making our country better. No. Those people are out to destroy this country, socialize the the nation, and that is an Antifa offshoot. Joining us now is Gerard Baker, uh, editor-at-large of the Wall Street Journal. Gerard, did you ever think you'd see this country like this? No, I didn't really. I mean, obviously, you know, those of us with long enough memories, just about, I was just enough, uh, just enough of memories, remember 1968, and uh, there clearly are some parallels in 1968, and unfortunately it hasn't been quite as deadly uh, as the rising of 1968. But I think what is, you know what I think is really disturbing, Brian, is the, this time around, is the complicity of the media uh, in this narrative that this isn't violent protests at all, this, is, this isn't violent riots, rather, at all. This is all just peaceful protests. I thought that one, one of my favorite things I think I've ever seen in the media at the weekend was the ABC headline that referred to peaceful protests, uh, you know, the, the number, huge numbers of people being hurt after peaceful protests intensified. Uh, at the weekend. I mean, it's, you know, this is the problem here. There is not a media that's willing to, I know. you know, to investigate what is actually going on. The media here, unfortunately, the vast majority of the media, with a few honorable exceptions, is just absolutely committed to promoting this Black Lives Matter, Antifa, uh, radical uh, agenda. And they're just ignoring any evidence whatsoever to the contrary. I'll give you an example, Gerard. Uh, when Ferguson was happening and President Obama was president, can you imagine if I hopped on the air and said there was no violence at Ferguson? 
Can absolutely. You... Yeah, ab- absolutely. You'd be, you know, you'd be denounced, of course, by the rest of the media. Everybody Justifiably. It's just yeah, quietly, quite quiet. And again, it, it just ground. It just gets worse. You know, every single, every, every with every single one of these stories, as you say, even back in look, one of the things to remember most notably about the Ferguson, uh, the aftermath of the Ferguson riots. You know, which of course was the kind of the whole birth of the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, and then that whole idea that that guy, the, the guy who uh, was killed by the police officer, had died with his, you know, with his hands up, as we subsequently learned. Thanks, by the way, even to the Obama administration's Justice Department, that was not true. But that fiction was allowed to be uh, propagated and developed by the media, and it became, to this day, it becomes, you know, you still protest. Some of these protests around the country are, you know, saying, hands up, don't shoot, you know, putting their hands up, you know, mimicking supposedly what that guy Michael Brown did, when we now, know and we learned soon afterwards, that just was completely untrue. And Gerard, I'll tell you, I personally, I want to go and find out what's going on in the inner cities, why so many people feel as though this country doesn't offer the opportunity it should. I, I know so many people that want to help. And that right. that feeling is gone as I watch right. these shirtless skateboarders throw projectiles at cops as if they're the problems. They're the go-betweens. There's some modernization of the force. We could do that. Absolutely. I have to pay them more a little bit, too. And this, but that's and look, gone. I, and look, Brian, I agree. And look, these the people who are doing all this, and you can see them on your TV screens, thankfully, on Fox and some other TV Show, show, uh, stations that do actually show this, or some brave reporters out there. These are, by the way, these are not the uh, oppressed ethnic minorities that people, you know, genuinely, rightly have concerns about, or the people who are living with terrible violence in Chicago and New York and Detroit and Baltimore and most of our most of our cities. They're not. They're not the people out there throwing rocks at the police. The people out there throwing rocks at the police and fireworks at the police are revolutionaries. Are they? They are self-confessed Marxist agitators who want to destroy the system. And, and you know, and, and, and the idea, and, and by the way, you know, people have written about this, some very interesting stuff has been written about, you know, the overproduction of elites. And I think that's one of the things we have had in this country in the last 25, 30 years. These are, frankly, uh, almost, produ- almost entirely white, privileged, you know, from relatively wealthy backgrounds, gone to very expensive colleges where they're being taught, you know, Marxism and woke ideology and critical race theory and all this kind of stuff. And they're coming out of those colleges with their minds stuffed full of anger. They're not they can't get decent jobs because there are too many of them to get, you know, actual real jobs. So they are going around looking for a cause and they've latched onto this cause. And they are the ones who are, I mean, literally trying to bring down the system. And it's not, and this is, this is the, you know, your heart bleeds for the people, know. you know, again, the, the people who really are suffering Absolutely. in many of these cities, suffering, they are suffering discrimination. There's no question there is real discrimination goes on, but they're also suffering at the hands of the violent criminals who are making hay now while the cops are basically, you know, being either dismantled or defunded or, you know, uh, uh, understandably reluctant to go into places where they think the next thing, they, they could be the next you know, candidate for, you know, being on the front page of the New York Times for being a, a, you know, a perpetrator of brutality. Wall Street Journal's Gerard Baker with us. Gerard, uh, you know, for the last two and a half years, we couldn't get away from the Russia story. And then when, as the story getting interesting and developing, as we find out who the subsource is that provided the information to Christopher Steele for the dossier, as we get more and more information uh, about what these FBI agents were up to and the Michael Flynn story, no one's interested. I'm interested, but I always thought it was going to be a sideline. And and now all of a sudden, I think this is heating up again. And to read your column caught my attention today. And the headline says a lot. Joe Biden may want to forget about the Russia investigation. Many will say, what does Joe Biden have to do with that? What's your answer? 
Well, look, so I was having a bit of fun with Joe Biden's obvious memory lapses. I mean, clearly, clearly the guy, I mean, and I don't say this in any way other than respectfully, I mean, clearly the man is having some real cognitive difficulties, and we've seen that, and he has memory lapses in the course of his, you know, in the course of his, his various very, very tame media appearances, and he clearly is having some difficulty, I think, um, you know, with with uh, some, you know, some sort of mental cognition issues. So I was having a bit of fun with the fact that, you know, he can't remember certain things, but saying, you know, it's going to be valuable for, you know, people, some of his allies I know from talking to them are very concerned that his, you know, his memory lapses were going to be a problem, were going to be a liability for him. It's turning out because of the, I would say with respect to the Russia investigation, that his memory lapse is going to be his greatest asset because he was clearly, we, we know that, and you're absolutely right, Brian. I mean, this, this, this story dominated every single media organization for three years from the middle of sort of towards the end of 2016 to, to to right through 2019 and we were told repeatedly by the media repeatedly that there was collusion between trump the trump campaign and russia and trump had committed trump's people had committed treason and it was all going to come to a head and we were going to reveal this and trump was going to be revealed as a, tra- as a traitor of course we know that that story was flimsy at the time. And the more we learn about that story, the more we realize it was actually fiction. So, you know, and exactly as you say, so here we are. So, so as the more evidence comes out, we just in the last two weeks had, you know, interesting revelations about the source of the Steele dossier, interesting revelations about uh, what exactly, you know, FBI agents were saying to each other about the reliability of the story and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. All as, as more and more evidence comes out that this was a fictive campaign to undermine the presidency, the media's gone quiet. Now, the, as, as far as Joe Biden's concerned, you know, Biden, we, we do know Biden, we, it, we, there, Biden was the vice president of this administration. We know this was the administration whose Justice Department was leading this right through 2016 and right into the early days of 2017. We know that Biden was involved in some of those conversations. We know he was involved in the famous early January conversation at the White House about Michael Flynn's uh, phone call with the Russian ambassador. We know that Susan Rice, the national security advisor, who's touted widely as a possible um, vice presidential nominee for, for Joe Biden. We know that she was actively involved involved and the unmasking uh, of Michael Flynn and various, some of the other uh, things that were going on at the time. So it seems to me completely legitimate. And here's where, again, the press is completely falling down. Biden has a lot of questions to answer. Now, I, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. I don't know how much was he involved. We don't know. But we do know that he was involved in certain things. Why aren't the media pressing him and finding out, you know, what did he know? When did he first learn about the Russia investigation? When did he first learn about what the FBI and the Justice Department were doing? When did he first learn that Michael Flynn was a target? When did he first learn about the Pfizer applications that turned out to be doxxed? You know, all of these are perfectly legitimate questions, which no one in the media seems to be asking the, the man who could be president of the United States in four months' time. Uh, it's unbelievable. And I think at some point and the debates, this, you know, the president doesn't like to go into detail, but he's got to have that comeback. Where were you on such and such date? What did totally. you know about the Ukrainian situation? And I, I will add uh, something else into the fray. He has rejected Chris Wallace's request for an interview. Is he really right. going to go all these months without a hard Sunday morning interview? I don't know if Margaret yeah. Brennan or Stephanopoulos or Chuck Todd have hard questions in them, but they used to. Doubt it. I doubt it. I mean, yeah, I, I doubt, you're absolutely right. And Chris Wallace, has, you know, Chris Wallace has given the president. And, and to the president's credit, you know, we keep hearing about uh, you know how how the president is um, you know manipulating the media and how supposedly he you know he lies all the time and he misleads and he doesn't pass on information. But the president submitted himself to Chris Wallace. I, I've lost track of the number of times the president has submitted himself to interview by Chris Wallace. He submits himself to these press events. Joe Biden 
you know, appears on his TV screen from his Delaware basement to a friendly audience of, you know, occasional gentle softball questions occasionally from MSNBC or CNN or more likely sort of campaign events from gentle soft questions and those chummy sessions with Barack Obama. He's absolutely he should be he should be he should be submitting himself to proper cross examination on this. And again, again, Brian, he might have a perfect explanation. He might be able to recall that. Yeah, no, I wasn't involved in any of this. I didn't know. I, you know, I, I you know. But we should hear about that. We right. Should, we should be asking him in detail because because this the, I have to say this Russia story is becoming. I do think it's probably one of the great scandals of our modern political times. It is absolutely clear that that. That, that people at senior levels in the Justice Department, in the FBI, and possibly elsewhere, we don't know, but possibly elsewhere in the administration, were involved in a, uh, an effort to distort, uh, to misrepresent, uh, right. to do things like, say, like the Pfizer applications to completely... Gerard, I think the um, biggest stuff is coming. ...misuse a legal process to undermine the campaign of the, of the opponent and then to undermine the president-elect when he became... That, this is a huge story. Joe Biden was... A, figure in that administration. He has to be asked questions about and it. And here's the one question he was asked that was tough from Tev Stephanopoulos, and he fell on his face. Listen. When did they know it? So what did you know about those moves to investigate uh, Michael Flynn, and was there anything improper done? I know nothing about those moves to investigate Michael Flynn. I do want to press that. You say you didn't know anything about it, but you were reported to be at a January 5th, 2017 meeting where you and the president were briefed on the FBI's plan to question. Michael, Michael Flynn. I thought you asked me whether or not I had anything to do with him being prosecuted. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I was aware that there was, that, there, that they asked for an investigation. But that's all I know about it. Really? Game on. <laughs> I mean, there we go. I mean, you know, his, his answer actually changed in the course of, you know, 30 seconds there. Brian. And, you know, of course he wasn't involved in the decision to prosecute. I mean, we really would, you know, for all the talk about, you know, President Trump misusing the state, if, if the vice president of the United States was involved in the decision to prosecute, um, you know, an American citizen, um, then we really would have a scandal. So, of course, he wasn't directly involved in that. But what was he involved in? And that answer, as you say, was just was 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 a nothing burger. He didn't tell us. He didn't tell us anything about again. And and any and when when he first learned about the investigation, what involvement he had in it, what briefings he received. You know, did he get briefings about um, you know what the FBI was doing? Because it was an you know there, there was an important counterintelligence investigation going on all the way you know through the second half of yeah. twenty sixteen. He was the vice president. He, he, you know, it, it, there is a strong probability that you know someone in his office or he himself knew about these things. And what right. did he know? And we have an absolute right to know about that. And now we do, because he's running for president. You might say, who cares right. about the vice president? He's running for president. Let's find out right. what he knows. It, it matters again. That's why I thought your column was so important. And that's why I look for follow-ups on this, because Lindsey Graham's bringing Sally Yates in this uh, couple of weeks. Gerard, thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Simon. Yep. Biggest editorial up at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, back with your calls in just a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Spying. 
That one word. That's why they're after you, Mr. Attorney General. Fifteen months ago, April 10th, 2019, in a Senate hearing, you said this sentence, quote, I think spying on a political campaign is a big deal. Spying on a political campaign is a big deal. It sure is. And since that day, since that day, when you had the courage to state the truth, they attack you. They've been attacking you every since, every day, every week, for simply stating the truth that the Obama-Biden administration <laughs> spied on the Trump campaign. And by the way, this leads up to exactly what I said when I started the show. I actually started Fox and Friends this morning at 6 a.m. They will regret calling Attorney General Barr, not only for what he'd say, but the topics that are going to be brought up. And people like Jim Jordan, who know this stuff cold, and Democrats refuse to entertain what went into the Russia probe, what was the Mueller probe about, and what happened afterwards. Now the civil unrest, they've been calling it peaceful protests. They are direct attacks on cops. Now they want to blame it on the federal agents that are there to back up the police. And they want to say they're the problem. But there's this thing called logic among the American people. And that's what's happening now in the bar hearing. He has not spoken yet, but we're seeing video of this. Adam, we'll see on WABC in Queens. Adam. Hey, Brian. Thank you for doing the yeoman's work. You're out here killing it every day. Thank you. I mean, from Operation Legend, Telefaro, four-year-old kid, the 92nd murder in those housing projects that President Trump is trying to address with federal troops, the top law officer. And uh, you had Baker on from the WSJ. Let me just real quick touch on the voting uh, the mail-in ballot voting. Here in New York, we have a Carolyn Maloney in District, uh, Congressional District 12, going against Sergei Patel. They're separated by 600 votes. That's of the 40,000 they were able to count. 60,000 mail-in votes were not counted. So more votes were not counted than counted because of our yeah. inept uh, governor. Adam, thanks so much. We're up against a break, but I appreciate it. I do not want mail-in voting any way, shape, or form. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Did President Obama direct any of this? That's not how it works. That's not how our investigations work. That we leave that to the intelligence community to bring forward information. And, and, and the dossier, I would imagine, would be one piece of a much bigger puzzle. And so if you're saying, is it important to make sure that there isn't influence? And actually, the Mueller report didn't conclude that there wasn't any wrongdoing. In fact, he was explicit in saying quite the opposite. And so I don't think we should read in where well, there hasn't Mike, been actually any conclusions to that effect yet. You're making statements that actually just, haven't been Just to be clear. Uh, that is Valerie Jarrett going at it with Maria Bartiroma. They never thought they believe the Mueller report shows the president was guilty of colluding with Russia. And I don't I read the whole thing. It doesn't uh, at all. And Robert Mueller's testimony showed that. But Valerie Jarrett's still holding on to that. And that might be their best defense to explain what their actions were in 2016 when they should have just turned over power and the keys. Remember the good old days when they just took the W off the keyboards when Clinton left and Bush came in? What a mess. I'm watching now uh, Attorney General Barr give his opening statement, a devastating video put together by Jim Jordan. It's going to be impossible for Democrats to say, well, that was BS and poorly and edited to make it look like the riots were out of control in this country. The riots are out of control in this country. Matt, KGNC, Amarillo. Matt. Hey, Brian. I appreciate you taking my call. I love your show. Thank you. My point is 
Joe Biden with this whole, oh, I just forgot that, you know, <clears throat> I wasn't in the, involved in those meetings. I, I saw some video surface from back in the 80s when he was running for president back then when he claimed that he was in the top half of his class. And then he claimed that he was the outstanding student and he had three law degrees. And then it was all proven that it was fake, that he lied about it. And then he came back and said, oh, I forgot. Are you going to tell me that you forgot that you were 76th in the class of 85, but you were in the top half? I mean, come on. This guy's been lying about forgetting stuff for 40 years. Remember the war stories? That made yes, no sense. That never ended up. Right. I mean, the guy's been lying. I don't understand how a guy can be running for president, lying through his teeth, forgetting things that he was involved in, all this kind of stuff. And yet, so many people just, oh, it's good old Joe, and let's just put him in the office. He can't remember. He can't finish a sentence. Hey, Matt. Remember, he was about fourth in every primary. And James Clyburn kept him alive because he didn't want Bernie Sanders. He, he ran for president three times. This was his worst effort, and he got the nomination. They have no bench. They have no future. Barack Obama didn't build up any future Barack Obamas. Neither did Bill Clinton. He gave way to his, his wife, who destroyed the party, and sucked the DNC dry, as did Barack Obama. Now, anybody with discerning political pundit will tell you there is so much more talent, young talent, on the right. Nikki Haley. Tom Cotton, Mike Pompeo, you're talking about 40s and 50s. You guys coming up. Don't tell me Rubio doesn't have another shot. You can't deny that he's a talented guy who's got foreign policy, he's got a ton of experience. I think that uh, you're going to have uh, you're going to have DeSantis uh, running for president. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. If he gets uh, the coronavirus, you could name like 10 talented people. There's nobody on the left. That's why they they know that Joe Biden is in embarrassment. They know that he's had personal tragedy, feel terrible about that. No one deserves that. But that's, that doesn't mean you make him president of the United States. He was a terrible vice president. They salted him away the last four hours, the last four years, because in the first four, he was screwing up left and right. Terry, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Terry. Hey, I've got a um, comment about Representative um, John Lewis. Okay, decades ago, he courageously went across that bridge in Selma and got the crud beat out of him. Just last week, we watched as he was taken across in a horse-drawn carriage to be honored, to be laid in state at our Capitol, which he greatly deserves. So how can people say this is a racist, irredeemable country when we will do that? We've come a long way. Come a long way, no question. Yes, we have. And I think people need to give us some credit for that. He's there where he deserves to be. And people need to look at that and say, we're still going forward. Absolutely. Read back how we got to where we were. In 1774, they knew when they wrote all men were created equal, they had to include all men. But the problem was there were two states that would not sign on to the Declaration or the Constitution. Uh, I think South Carolina and Georgia, if they didn't, if they didn't exclude uh, slavery. Uh, and it's terrible. All this time, we had all this time, the second inauguration for uh, commencement speech for uh, and the inauguration for George Washington's second term, a chance to ban slavery. He didn't do it. And the problems we're still dealing with today. But we have made tremendous progress. I think it's great and admirable that we're our toughest critic, but we've gone overboard. Back then, it was so clear who was wrong. 
the police were wrong, the South was wrong in beating up African-Americans because they wanted to eat at a, a kitchen counter, go to the front of the bus, have a water fountain and go to school, regardless of the color of your skin. Now it's blurred. Why? Because I'm watching mostly white people assault cops and cops being insulted because they happen to be wearing riot gear. They've totally messed up the good person, bad person situation in this. And we're not even talking about George Floyd. On a lighter note, talking about sports, the devastating news for Major League Baseball that 17 Marlins tested positive. So they're going to be out for about a week. They're going to resume play if they can get enough players. If this happens just one time, maybe another time, no problem. But if the August is littered with um, 10, 15 players, they're going to have to bring this into a hub area where you play only in a certain amount of stadiums. Or they're going to have to call up an entire AAA team and just weave them in and get through it. Dr. Mark Siegel weighed in on what has to be done to keep baseball playing and football going. Cut 35. Baseball is a sport that is socially distanced by definition. You're standing in the outfield. You're all alone. You're in the infield. You don't encounter anyone. The problem is that the way baseball is right now, everyone's playing in their home park. They're on the team buses. They're traveling together. They're eating at restaurants. They're sharing equipment. Equipment bags are being brought onto buses. Whereas the NBA and the NFL are doing bubble-type techniques where they're playing in one place. NBA in Orlando, NHL, National Hockey League in Edmonton and Toronto. Major League Baseball needs to survive this season to send a message to all sports. We need our sports. Absolutely. And they got to be smart. They got to be savvy. They got to be resourceful. So Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, said this last night about what happens now. Cut 37. We have made some decisions. The Miami Marlins will not play their two games in Miami tonight and tomorrow. Uh, We're doing some additional testing. If the testing results are acceptable, um, the Marlins will resume play in Baltimore on Wednesday against the Orioles. And I, I just don't know. I mean, you got AAA players who would love an opportunity to play in the major leagues. That'll be a plus. Then if they have two negative tests, they're now active. You can't quarantine for two weeks. And I also think it's important to understand that this season in particular, it's like war. I mean, I'm sure the Red Sox weren't thrilled that Ted Williams was a fighter pilot in World War II in Korea. You know, I'm sure Phil Rizzuto and Yogi Berra, I don't know where they were in their career, but they both left and they served. Everybody was serving. That's the attitude we have to have with uh, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, soccer. Well, you know, now I can't believe this virus. It's terrible. No, going to deal with it. Now, a lot of people would say, we've got to find a way to persevere. Uh, well, I don't want to uh, don't want to sacrifice asking players not to go out at night, not to go out to eat, uh, not to go to parks, not to go to clubs is too much. And I ask you this. Compared to normal, sure, might be too much if there was no pandemic. But when we ask a man or woman to serve in Iraq, Afghanistan, Yemen, Sudan, uh, Greenland, Alaska, there's no bars around, you're middle of nowhere. If you're in a Middle Eastern country, you can't even have a beer. And you're sleeping on the floor, maybe in mud huts, maybe you're getting mortared. They're making about $35,000 a year, maybe 55000 Most of that money goes back home to your family who's missing you. And you want to turn around and tell the football players it's too much of a sacrifice. I, I, I understand your sacrifice of not going to clubs or bars. Please. 
So I think sports matters more because it's about normalcy. It's about getting back to school, getting back to sports. I don't like seeing no stands in the fans, no fans in the stands, but I think it's necessary. I think you get a third of the sports world back in business. The PR directors, the locker room attendants, the, the, the trainers, the coaches, their assistants, they have a way to go back to school. Then you got to clean those offices. Office cleaners are back. The parking lot attendants are there. The valets are there. That's what's so important about the restaurant industry. Barry, listen on WSKY in Florida. Hey, Barry. Hi, Barry. How are you? Listen, you know, when I, when I hear the denial, 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 which comes straight from Saul Alinsky's uh, rules for radicals, the deniability rule, it's, it, it just makes me want to uh, regurgitate. We have found out the facts over the last three years from investigative reporting what's happened with the deep state and trying to take this president down before and after he became president. And unless, unless Durham and Barr do something about it, this country is lost. There will be no law enforcement, period. And that's why he's the MVP we're watching right now. Nadler is grilling a bar over response to the crime spike. Good luck. Good luck. I, I, do you know how it feels if you're in an argument and you're 100% right and comfortable in your action? They think they got him down. Are you kidding? He sent 100 federal agents into a place that was rioting for 50-plus straight days, and he's the bad guy? He wants to help, as does the president— the murder capital of the country, and that's the south side of Chicago. And he should be condemned by that because the inept mayor doesn't want him there. That's what they're going to ask him. And the guy is unflappable. And as Ari Fleischer tweeted out, they will regret asking him to come out today because he's going to be able to defend all his actions. And it's almost as if he's playing with children. You know how if you're maybe dealing with eighth graders who think they know it all and they're going to lecture you about what's right and wrong, you let them talk, you try to feel where they're coming from, but you just know they have 100% wrong, they have no idea about life, they have no idea about the reality on the ground, and he's not playing politics. That's the difference between the two. So when it comes to the policing, And when it comes to the protesters, what they want is anarchy. What they don't like is capitalism. What they really despise are Republicans. Who they're using are Democrats. And Democrats are fine with that because they're using them. They're using the African-American community. They're using the radicals because they know those radicals will never vote for Donald Trump. If you want to see disillusionment and a collaboration to tell the wrong story, listen to this when it comes to the riots. Our pictures of, uh, of Portland indicate mostly peaceful protests. Well, that's exactly right, Allie. In fact, uh, you saw mothers arm in arm uh, trying to protect uh, the peaceful protesters. Trump would have you believe that America's cities are criminal wastelands. And he's using that trumped up charge to justify what in any other country, particularly an authoritarian one, would be called the secret police. Apparently, the president has this imaginary world in his head where he thinks the U.S. cities are under siege. But it is made up on Fox News like it's this raging fire out of control. And that is a gross exaggeration. Okay, we'll see. Jason Rance, very popular Seattle radio host. Is it something Fox made up? Cut 11. What we're seeing is violence. What we saw was a riot. And anyone who says otherwise is lying to you. I understand yeah. that there's some nuance to, to go into when you're talking about a very large crowd and there are like two or three bad actors. 
but the entire crowd is almost full of bad actors. It started off peaceful on Saturday as they walked to the juvenile detention center. There was about 4,000, 5,000 people. Then they set it on fire. And then all of a sudden that crowd was about 1,500. The people who stayed are the bad actors. The people who stayed are the rioters. The people who stayed were saying some horrible things, and their goal is not to protest against police brutality. This has nothing to do with George Floyd. This has everything to do with a very specific ideology, and I think that there are politicians and media members who believe that this is going to create enough momentum and chaos to get Donald Trump out of office. And I think it might just do the opposite. Maybe you feel differently, one 408 7669 So Mike Balasamo is an AP reporter and he was said he got an offer to go behind the scenes with the federal agents of course nobody knows what's going to happen in portland happened over the weekend say you want to come with us you know we'll protect you i want you to report what you see he spent the weekend inside the portland federal courthouse with the u.s marshals mortars were being fired off repeatedly this is right from mike's twitter feed uh fireworks and flares shot into the lobby frozen bottles concrete cans and bouncy balls regularly whizzed over the fence at high speeds I watched as injured officers were hauled inside. In one case, the commercial firework came over so fast, the officer didn't have time to respond. It burned through his sleeves and had bloody gashes in both arms. The lights inside the courthouse had been turned off for the safety and the light for the high-powered lasers bounced around the lobby almost all night. The fear is palpable. Three officers were struck in the last few weeks and still haven't regained their vision. The officers outside the Portland courthouse of the courthouse have been hit by an array of objects from canned food to ball bearings from fired to fired from slingshots. On Saturday night, a DHS officer was so completely in orange paint thrown from one of the many paint cans later seized by authorities. That is just a little of what he saw. That is the AP. So Brian Stelter, MSNBC, whatever you want. There's what you think and there's what's happening. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Regis came out, as you heard, and and just kind of flew by the seat of his pants, and that's why it was such great television. And I didn't even know that... He'd set the record for most live hours on television. I thought that was Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, how dare he? Uh, Regis Philbin uh, passed away, and we were talking about him yesterday. But Jesse Waters referenced me on uh, The Five yesterday, and our our great producing team picked that out. But I got texts all about that. So uh, I am looking looking to break Regis' record, but he'll always have it because most of it was done broadcast. But do do I get to count radio, uh, Allison, Eric? I feel like it's a valid, you should be able to now that we're streaming video live. All right, Pete, ultimately it'll be your decision. I think absolutely. I mean, <laughs> okay. you're on the air, you're broadcast, it doesn't matter. He did radio too, so didn't that count? I don't know. Does it? We'll have to see. Hey, let's find out if there's even more to know than that. More to know. Michelle Obama's got a big get in her first interview on her first podcast. It'll be her dad, her, her dad, her <laughs> husband, uh, the first episode. She'll sit there and on Spotify and get a lot of money to talk to a very popular Democrat, a lot of charisma. Uh, the streaming site said earlier this month that the former First Lady's podcast is set to debut on July 29th. I think that'll actually, I think I'm going to listen to that. What about you? <laughs> no, I agree with you. I absolutely will. And I thought that was a super hard booking to get. Next. ABC is airing a primetime tribute on Tuesday to Regis Philbin. I will watch. The program will be include Philbin's final television appearance with Jimmy Kimmel on March of 2020, as well as interviews with uh, Kathy Lee Gifford uh, and Mary Hart. 
Kathy Lee Gifford, great tribute yesterday on Good Morning America. Do you guys see it? Um, I Not didn't Good Morning see it. America, the Today it. Show, my it's bad. It. Yeah, she's now in D.C. Yep. Um, I read about it. It sounded very, very touching. And she was, I think, very fortunate to be able to have lunch with him within the past two weeks. Yeah, it turns out he, he did die of heart disease. Next, Ryan Reynolds offers $5,000 reward for the safe return of a woman's missing teddy bear. Reynolds is 43, as you know. He alerted fans that the priceless stuffed animal went missing and offered up a hefty reward. Uh, $5,000 to anyone who returns this bear to Mara. Uh, you know the bear is in question. Reportedly belongs to Mara Soriano, who says the bag contained the her Build-A-Bear, a Nintendo Switch, important documents, and an iPad that was stolen in the city's West End. So she put all that in the bear? Yeah, but the, no, the bear, but the voice in the bear was of her late mother, which is why it was so sentimental. I missed the big story. And you I'm supposed to be a journalist. <laughs> thank, we try to keep you there. Right. You, thanks. Uh, thank goodness Allison almost came to work today or else this show would have been <laughs> terrible. Uh, Pete, Eric, and Allison, thanks so much. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.